Welcome to another invigorating episode of Seeking Tubinus, the podcast where we read the young adult fiction of today, or, on alternating episodes, look back a couple of decades to the books from our youth. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, the mysterious Patrick Moon. Hello. The cultivated Bree. Hey. And the radiant Keith Rowe. Hello. Ooh. This episode, we disturb the sleeping beast that was The Darkest Part of the Forest, written in 2015 by Holly Black, who is best known for her work co-writing the Spiderwick Chronicles, with Tony DiTerlizzi. For those who have not read the book, some cautionary words. This is a warning about the content of this episode of Seeking Tumnus. This podcast will contain spoilers. This fantasy book, aimed mainly at teenagers, may just have a little bit of romance. Before we get into the thick of the forest, please consider reading this tale and joining us in the Fey folklore. Seeking Tumnus may also contain dim-witted townsfolk kissing, dimmer-witted tourists making out, implied interspecies erotica, an 11-year-old with a mythical bloodlust, and kissing. Now, prepare to be cast into a world of fantasy with Pat and Page One. Down a path worn into the woods past a stream and a hollowed-out log full of pill bugs and termites, was a glass coffin. It rested right on the ground, and in it slept a boy with horns on his head and ears as pointed as knives. As far as Hazel Evans knew, from what her parents said to her and from what their parents said to them, he'd always been there. And no matter what anyone did, he never, ever woke up. He didn't wake up during the long summers, when Hazel and her brother Ben stretched out on the full length of the coffin, staring down through the crystalline panes, fogging them up with their breath, and scheming glorious schemes. He didn't wake up when tourists came to gape or debunkers came to swear he wasn't real. He didn't wake up on autumn weekends when girls danced right on top of him, gyrating to the tinny sounds coming from nearby iPod speakers, didn't notice when Leonie Wallace lifted her beer high over her head as if she were saluting the whole haunted forest. He didn't so much as stir when Ben's best friend, Jack Gordon, wrote, in case of emergency, break glass in Sharpie along one side, or when Lloyd Lindblad took a sledgehammer and actually tried. No matter how many parties had been held around the horned boy, generations of parties so that the grass sparkled with decades of broken bottles in green and amber, so that the bushes shone with crushed aluminium cans in silver and gold and rust, and no matter what happened at those parties, nothing could wake the boy inside the glass coffin. That is your page one. Thank you, Patrick. Bree, were you whisked away to another world? I really liked it. I think that the first page, particularly, is interesting. And exclusively? (laughs) And exclusively (laughs) is very interesting. Totally love it. Next one. (laughs) (laughs) Nice handover there. (laughs) (laughs) Spectacular handover. It's like hot potato. Uh, I really like it. I I think there's a a nice sort of mix of the 
the kind of fey ideas, you know, the the sleeping beauty kind of imagery of the, the boy in the glass coffin mixed in with those anachronistic items, the paraphernalia, the iPod speakers, you know, th- holding a beer higher over your head. It's it's engaging and I I don't know that necessarily it's a, it was a true representation of what I read afterwards, but I th- I thought it was uh, a good way to to grab the reader, bring them in, give them a bit of an idea of, you know, here we are, it's the contemporary world, and there's a bit of magic in it. Uh, What about you, Keith? Yeah, I'm pretty much along the same lines as you, Pat. So the gyrating drunk teenagers have me a little bit worried, but the rest of it is interesting. And yeah, I was kind of looking forward to it after having read, and in this case, listened to the first page. Did you feel like an overwhelming compulsion to yell like, get off my lawn? (laughs) I don't think it was worried in that same way. <laughs> Maybe worried that it was just setting itself up to be this kind of romantic onslaught. But we'll find out later if that was the case. Laurie, what did you think of page one? I liked the irreverence shown to the, the boy in the glass coffin. It's become mundane to have this completely fantastical creature lying right down the road from where they live. I'm not quite sure I quite liked the homage to the glass coffin. It was touch cliched for me from from Sleeping Beauty. I suppose they needed a device, but I just wish they'd use something else. But otherwise, I, I really liked it. I, I did like that contemporary setting with the fantastical lying right there and everyone is quite used to it. It's good. That's what I was going to say. Like, I, I feel like it was a, a useful jumping off point. It's a, it's a fairy tale you already know. It sets it fairly squarely in the teen romance slash fiction slash fey genre I guess that's going to grab a lot of popular attention as well and it does that quite well with talking about iPods and things that people can identify with very quickly and easily well that that very popular teen romance teen fiction fey genre (laughs) (laughs) there are a lot these days if you look at the bookstores today I think I was in one in Sydney recently and they had sci-fi, they had fantasy, and then they had supernatural romantic fiction or something like that. <laughs> and it was like a whole row of books. I was shocked. But this one, I think, it seemed to be a bit more standout. Like, it, it definitely was easy to discover this book when I was switching. Yeah, I think Twilight uh, opened the floodgates uh, in that way. And, and certainly there's been a, plenty of people following suit. I think it's interesting that you mentioned Twilight. I think Twilight will stick around for a lot longer than this book. I mean, it's nowhere near as popular, obviously, but also I worry a little bit about the use of things like iPods and Sharpies, like very contemporary references that might make it date fairly quickly. What do you think? I don't know about that. I I really love a lot of old books. I love Sherlock Holmes. I love Dickens. I really like Great Expectations. And I know they're not dropping brand names necessarily, but you know you have the hailing a, a handsome cab and like things that are really grounded in a particular time, a particular place, and they don't translate. But I, I think that that grounding in that time period is almost what contributes to making them really classic texts. And I, I, I do think it's a double-edged sword. I think it can go either way, particularly if you throw in some really really naff references to to things that people are just going to sort of roll their eyes at down the track. And I think you've made the point well there that you're you're talking about actual classics. You're talking about Dickens. You're not talking about 
Look, a hundred years down the track, who's to say what darkest part of the forest will look like? I'll go on the record and say <laughs> that, the, that the, uh, the the references to contemporary items won't be the reason why this isn't a classic. Correct. Look, Keith, people are going to be driving their hover cars listening to this episode and laughing at you. I hope so. <laughs> that schmuck. <laughs> Bree, can you give us the synopsis, please? Yes, I can. So it starts out with, there is a glass coffin in a forest on the edge of the peculiar town of Fairfold. Inside is a pointy-eared and horned prince who's been asleep in the impenetrable box for as long as the townsfolk can remember. The human population live in awareness of the fae in the forest. They have an increasingly uneasy truce. In return for offerings and charms, the fae largely leave the townsfolk alone and prefer to exact their wrath on unwitting tourists who are drawn to the town. The heroes of this one are Hazel and her brother Ben. Their artistic and artist mother made a deal with a famously tricksy fairy and traded a portrait of herself, the fairy, for a gift for Ben. And he was was granted a powerful and enchanting musical ability. As children, Ben and Hazel were neglected by their parents and run wild in the forest. After somewhat grimly discovering the corpse of a boy and a deadly sword, they begin to hunt the somewhat gruesome and cruel fae using Ben the Bard's musical ability to send the Fae into a trance and Hazel's magical sword to slay them. At some point, Ben becomes afraid of his ability and of what they're doing and wants to stop hunting the fairy. Unbeknownst to Ben, Hazel makes a deal, which is never a good idea, with the older king, king of the fairies. In exchange for a scholarship for her brother to a music school and a life for her family outside of Fairfold, Hazel trades seven years of her life. But the deal is also made so that she can keep hunting. And from there, we have subplot after subplot. And I'd like to call on my co-hosts to help me out with this one. Away from Fairfold, Hazel finds herself in embrace with Ben's new boyfriend. Heartbroken and afraid of his ability, Ben breaks his own hand. The family returns to Fairfold. Where everything is about to change. The prince is released from the coffin, but precisely how is a mystery. Ben and Hazel both have always loved the prince. Hazel, who assumed she'd die seven years before her time, has actually been unwittingly serving the older king at night. An evil creature has been wandering around town, killing folk. Hazel has been kissing boys left and right, but eventually falls in love with her brother's best friend, Jack. Who is actually a changeling boy conflicted about his identity. The townsfolk are afraid of the escalating violence of the Fae and are stumped about what to do next. Hazel tracks down the prince to help because she loves him. Hazel loses her sword. Hazel can't remember what she does at night, but starts finding clues. Ben loves the prince and helps hide him and kisses him. Hazel's never told Ben about the deal with the Older King. The Older King wants the sword. That spoiler alert Hazel had used to bust open the coffin. (gasps) And the Older King wants to kill his son, who is the prince. The prince wants to kill the Older King. The leafy, barky, rambling horror that is killing people is the prince's sister. It's a mystery. And a romance. And a fantasy horror. Darkest part of the forest. (laughs) (laughs) Like a movie trailer. (laughs) Probably not coming soon to your Kindle. (laughs) Does it work for any of you? Oh, it was, uh, it was convoluted. Very much so. Excessively convoluted. So, why did I choose the book? 
I was trawling for young adult fiction and there was a, a list of top X books in the category for 2015, the young adult fiction category. I was looking for something fantasy, I guess, to compare uh, later on against Twilight, which is one of the books we're looking at soon. And I like that idea from the back cover or the synopsis about the, the melding of worlds, the contemporary world with, with the Fey world. Keith, what did you think of the book? So when I was reading this, I was actually quite ill and I kind of read it in little chunks. I don't know whether that contributed to my feelings about the book, but overall it felt kind of like all the ingredients were there for a pretty compelling tale. But by the end, there was something about the execution and the, the storytelling in the book that didn't get me hooked. I got the feeling it had been tinkered with a lot before the final version was released. And actually there's some notes at the end of the book that kind of confirmed that for me. And the biggest reason really that I didn't like the book so much is I didn't have an attachment to the main character, Hazel, nor really her brother, Ben. Some parts of their relationship I did like and I found believable, like the way they sort of always were keeping information from each other but were expecting complete disclosure from the other. And there was a lot of kissing and talk of kissing and some of the key development aspects of young love were there or were not there in some cases. So some of it kind of felt like it was put in there just for the sake of it because, you know, these sort of books do have romance in them, so we've got to get to that quota. And that side of things didn't really gel with the rest of the story for me. So overall, this wasn't a winner for me. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. What did you think of it, Pat? That sounds like another big fat get-off-my-lawn from from Keith. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, having said that, I I agree with you. So I I can't give you too much crap uh, this time around. I enjoyed it. I thought there was some sort of strengths that it had in that yeah, it was a kind of novel setting. I think it probably targeted, you know, that, that teenage demographic pretty well. But unlike a lot of the other stuff that we've talked about, I don't think it really retained a lot of value for people who aren't in that group. For me, there, there just wasn't a lot there to stimulate me, to kind of drive me forward in the plot. It, it felt like nothing really happened it felt like there was a lot of drama a lot of relationship issues you know uh, boy kisses girl girl kisses boy girl kisses another boy girl kisses 300 boys doesn't know who she really <laughs> likes um and you know i'm not like i don't want to sound like you know the old dude coming down on because you've typecast me in that role already thanks yeah, yeah, I have. I, I will fulfill that in a moment. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. So that role's well and truly taken care of, and I don't need to do it. But yeah, I just, I just felt like there was all of this soap opera going on, and that there was this quite rich kind of overarching plot waiting to be taken advantage of, and it never really happened. Uh, it, it was kind of let's sort out the relationship dramas, and then we'll just you know give it a, a brief cursory kind of look at the the overarching main thrust of the story and just tie it off. And I found that unsatisfying. As yeah, it, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, you're right. That that last bit it really sped through the main plot line. Like it spent a lot more time on you know the history of of Ben and Hazel, and the actual main story just got blasted through in the final third of the book. Yeah. I feel like if they'd actually turned it into a series of novellas or novels or looked at having a different story from each character's perspective, it would have been a little bit more successful because you can sort of develop each of those things to their fullness Yeah. because it does develop that sort of rich background and the rich setting, I guess, of the forest as well. Yeah, it definitely does. Like there's a lot of detail about some characters that don't even, they're not even recurring in any way or shape that kind of Mm. gives the feeling that it is going to be a series, but it's not. 
Yeah, so Hazel's the protagonist, obviously. She's running through the forest. She's death-dealing all of these fey creatures. And she's coming up against some really interesting characters in uh, The Older King and in Sorrow, who's kind of the, the big bad. And those latter two never seem to me to be really fleshed out. And I would have liked to have seen something a bit more down that avenue. Like, let, let's, like, sink our teeth into this stuff. And, yeah, it just it just didn't happen. What about you, Laurie? I like the fantasy a lot, Pat. I like the mention of the European folklore, the whites or the hags that drown people in lakes was a bit like Rasulkas from Russian folklore and the mention of changelings. There's a lead character who's a changeling that was sort of taken from the, the fey folk and, and brought to live amongst the normal humans, and I thought that was pretty cool. The shambling vines monster, and there's a bogart as well. I really like that sort of European callback. I feel like almost every time that you and I talk about books, we're like, you know what? How good is fantasy? Yeah. How good is folklore? <laughs> a bit of an echo chamber. I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like the use of the rhyming in the book. There was like these fairy tale rhymes that were used as, I guess, like an education for the town folk. They would say these rhymes to either protect themselves or to actually call upon the fairy folk and i thought that was pretty interesting you're right mm. you're right though about the the plot and 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 driving interest in seeing it resolved there was for me at the beginning of the book the first time i read the book there was no attachment to the lead character at all she is kissing boy after boy essentially and that kind of irritated me a little bit i didn't feel attached to her because i didn't i didn't like her i didn't like what she was doing and she would say in one breath that she <laughs> Uh, wish she could stop kissing boys on a whim because she doesn't like how it makes her feel and how it makes other people feel and she goes and kisses two boys within five minutes so it was a bit irritating yeah i think sorry i I think i like agree with you there that maybe it's not necessarily her behavior but her sort of being so down on her own behavior and unable to kind of address that in any meaningful way right and i think that that's fairly common amongst young teenage girls it's just that it annoys me that this is the way that they choose to show that i think they were showing that she's this lost wandering soul she used to run with the group at school but now she's sort of on her own and she's only got a couple of friends Mm. and oh my goodness that's not going to last for long anyway and I just think that that's enough. You don't have to then have her degrading herself in some ways by just feeling so. Well, I down think the, that that's the how three of you it. should uh, the three of you should rent a house together, and you can all stand out on the porch. And Keith can yell, "Get off the lawn!" while Bree waves her walking stick, and, and Laurie hoses down the youths that, that walk too close. Hey, I was I was going to say, actually, they try to justify her behaviour a little bit with obviously her history and her upbringing, but also with. Uh, the fact that she's she's given up what she thinks is seven years of her life with this deal with the older king and she she knows that's hanging over her head and because of that her actions are all about the now and there's no longevity to what she does she doesn't think yeah. about the repercussions and a- i think absolutely. she think yeah it's very selfish the way she does it also because well she's not thinking about her own repercussions but those for the adoring people that you know she ends up kissing and perhaps ruining their their child with their lives well, <laughs> not quite their lives but maybe they're weak <laughs> I've just said that but at the same breath like she's what you know she's a teenager it's that whole sexual awakening trying to figure out your hormones and your emotions and thinking about others it's thinking about others in particular is not necessarily that high on your list is it it's yeah no I I I agree with you, Bree, and I, I think probably if if I had novelised my own teenage years, I would probably read it now and think, oh, my dear Lord, what what were you doing? 
what were you thinking, <laughs> you fool? <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I get it from that perspective. And I don't think there is necessarily anything too dramatically wrong about, about her behaviour. And I think a, a few ruined weeks is probably the the height of it. But, yeah, it's, it's difficult to relate to, I think, That's at, right. at this point in our lives. Yeah, it just doesn't serve serve any sort of attachment to the character, so it hurts in the read-through. Yeah, and that, Keith, I guess you made the point well, but for me it was the second reading that made me feel, uh, I don't know, more kindly towards the character. Like, in the first reading, you see her kissing all the boys and you find out the reason for it later. Yes, she said she's made this agreement to give the older king seven years of her life. She doesn't know when that is going to be. It could be the next 10 minutes. Um, But that comes second. So by the time I've reached that understanding, I've already cast judgment on the character. Well, not judgment. I just don't like it. I don't like her actions. But when I read it through the second time, I knew why she was doing it. I actually felt a lot more sympathy for her. So I'm not sure whether it was the order in which you're presented with the information or, I don't know, just having read about it later and come back and maybe known a bit more about the character. I I found it much easier to empathise with her actions. Mm. I guess my problem with that is that I'm not going to reread it. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to come back (laughs) and, you know, try and understand her. I'm not going to come back and I'm probably not going to go and buy another Holly Black novel to read. So lost yeah yeah i think i think that's it that's it for me too i'm not i'm not going to go back to it and so she missed the boat Mm -hmm. yeah good on you laurie for going back with the reread as a refresher unfortunately the reread didn't solve the rest of the problems with the book pat you had it correct as far as i'm concerned that the plot wasn't really driven forward there was too much side plot action going on there was probably a bit too much teen romance and there was probably a good kernel of a story which was the mystery of how did the prince get free what's to be done about the escalating violence against the normal human populace even why the prince is there in the first place yeah yeah all all of that stuff and why is sorrow going around um killing or hurting people all that stuff i think could have been really interesting if it was pruned a little bit I think it was. Is that a pun? Ha <laughs> 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 Sorrow is a tree creature. In case anyone missed that at the start. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I'm explaining it for the people, not for you guys. <laughs> dig Classic up, dig up, dig up, dig up. <laughs> but a lot of people won't read this. Invited to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival or something. <laughs> Killing it. <laughs> Fine. Right. Yeah. Despite all the talk in the afterward, or what it, the section at the back. What is it, Keith? The, the epilogue? No, it's not an epilogue. <laughs> it's it's the section after the book where the author talks about the book. Like ah, the, yeah. The yeah. It's like a Q and A sort of thing, and there's a bit of thank. There's a long thanks section, then 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 a Q and A in the one I read anyway. But yeah, the, the thanks is um is a huge list which really tells the tale for me that yeah. um, she consulted with a lot of people on this and admits to having a lot of problems in getting it how she liked it. I think that happens to a lot of authors, though. Like, if you if you just look at the all the controversy at the moment with Go Set a Watchman and um, How to Kill How to Kill <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird, um, and you know the the evolution that must have occurred between those two books to to bring about Mockingbird, and 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 you know it's widely regarded as you know one of the the great classics of English literature. I mean, the English language literature. And it, it obviously like took a lot of revision. And I think probably the, the issue here is that the revision may have pulled it in too many directions. It didn't set a focus. It didn't really sort of narrow down that scope. And, 
and really say, you know, what does this book need to do? Let's make this book do what it needs to do. I, I think it, yeah, it just ended up being a bit of a hot mess. <laughs> Agreed. Bree, what did you think of the book? I think for me, I actually really liked the setting. I actually really liked the way that it was set up. I liked the description of the forest and I think they used some really beautiful words and some really beautiful use of colour in particular to describe the scene. And I really liked the throwbacks to how Ben became musical. I thought that was a really nice way of telling the story. I really liked how Jack came to live with his brother Carter and his mother. But I think the characters for me just would be great with their own books rather than all shoved into the one story. So I just found that a bit jarring. That's all. Do you think that would have been better to write the book in alternating perspectives? Similarly to something like, is it Insurgent is one of the ones that they do that for? Where they switch between characters and they tell it from a different... Yeah. Yeah, um, maybe. But I still think that you've got to simplify the plot. Like you don't need to have so many subplots to tell a good story like you can have little arcs here and there but ultimately it's all got to be tied together not individual ties all over the place I find that frustrating in this but I've got to admit even though I agree about the pop culture references being a little bit over the top it still made me laugh like it still made me think you know think about all those people I know who wear their hipster skinny jeans and eat their kale granola raisin bars and things like that like it kind of made me laugh and it made me yeah titter a little bit I'm not going to reread it again because I find it very L-I-T-E but there you go just touching on your um, popular culture references there was one in there that I loved and it was at one stage they were pouring their way through a what do they call them, like a vintage clothing store? Or I guess it was more than clothing because they found in there a Masters of the Universe sword. And for some <laughs> reason, there was a reference in the middle of this contemporary book to this cartoon from the 80s. And I really like that for obvious reasons. If anyone hasn't already seen Keith's profile picture on our Facebook page, please have a look and note what he's wielding. <laughs> <laughs> this book was written for you. Yeah, I think I've managed to jackhammer in Masters of the Universe references in several of our pods, but this one was custom made for me. <laughs> Fanboy for She's life. really catering to the target audience. <laughs> He-Man fans. There's more out there than you, than you would know. It's just trying to be something for everyone, yeah? So it talks about, I liked the bit about talking about the 11th Doctor versus the tw- 10th Doctor, you know? Doctor Who all the way. Yeah, it might be um, kind of Holly's own contemporary or her age sort of references coming through and then being mixed together with what she thinks will be you know current for the the target audience so it could be a bit of that i think doctor who is currently popular though like yes i watched as a child loved it then then it came back and i loved it again but especially the 11th doctor i think it is is super popular amongst the nerdy crowd if you go to somewhere like supernova or comic-con or you know, Armageddon or whatever it's called these days, then you will see a lot of Doctor Who fans. As if you don't know. As if I don't know what it's called. (laughs) Australian Film and Comic Expo. No, I have no idea. What I was going to say is, yeah, that kind of makes it even more of a blur and a mess for me because it's kind of primarily, you would think, aimed at that sort of teenage audience. But then there's these more contemporary references and then there's you know, Doctor Who science fiction as opposed to fantasy. And I know what you're saying that, yeah, they're, they're all in the same sort of popular wheelhouse for a lot of the, the people, but I would have thought that the sort of teenage romance people aren't necessarily going to have a high concentration of crossover with Doctor Who fans or He-Man fans. You think they might be reading more challenging and interesting work? 
Quite possibly. I would agree. <laughs> but look at your own book collection. I bet you've got some of the Penguin classics and you probably also got Twilight sitting up there. I hope that wasn't directed at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's offensive. It's highly offensive. <laughs> but, I, but I do have Twilight on my bookshelf, so... <laughs> Okay, so that wraps up, I guess, what everybody thought. How about we move on to some of the discussion points? I might kick it off with a discussion of modern fairy tales or fairy tales in the real world. Has anyone got any examples that they'd like to share? There is that particularly terrible uh, television show. It's a series which actually has a surprising number of good actors, but it just doesn't seem to work. Once Upon a Time, it's called, where they have, you've got basically Snow White and Prince Charming, who've, you know, had a daughter in fairy tale land who somehow ends up living in New York. And they go back, she goes back to fairy tale land in order to sort of save the world, basically. You've got, you, you meet the evil queen with the, poison apple and the seven dwarfs and all those sorts of things but they're all living in the real world in a town and they've got like amnesia oh that's right yeah 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 so i think all of the fairy tale characters like rumpelstiltskin and snow white and all those people they they all are living in this town that they can't escape from but it's in our world and they they fled there to escape the the evil curse of the wicked witch and but none of none of them actually remember who they are except for the wicked witch herself Oh, does she? Mm. Oh, I don't think I watched that far. I found it <laughs> pretty C grade. Have you guys seen it? I, I think I've seen one or two episodes, and I'm I'm happy to leave it at one or two episodes. I mean, just the, the way you describe it now, even it just sounds like an absolute snooze fest. It, it sounds awful. <laughs> I quite like the description, and I haven't seen the show. Maybe that's why I like the description, and I can see, I guess, why they they ran with it. But if it's no good in practice, then I'll be avoiding it. Well, the thing is, it's very popular. It's been going for several seasons now. Is it still running? Yeah, I think so. I thought they would have cancelled the hell out of that thing, you know. No, most recently they went to Neverland with Peter Pan. I was reading up on it the other day, but oh right, it's yeah. Actually, they've brought on Captain Hook, Peter Pan. They is there the no justice one. in the world that that can run and Deadwood gets cancelled <laughs> after three seasons? Yeah, or Firefly after one. <laughs> back to Peter Pan. Back to Peter Pan. So they've gone to Neverland. Do you know when they're going to Eternia? <laughs> I'm glad you get that one He-Man reference in (laughs) every episode. (laughs) I don't know that it's replete with amazing actors, though. I only know one. No, the the acting was pretty poor, I think. No, there's Jennifer Goodwin's in it as well. Who's she in the show? She's Snow White. Who is that? Jennifer Goodwin? Snow White, is she the one with the short hair? Yeah. Oh, no, she's horrendous. She's not horrendous. What is she good in? She is great in Big Love. The HBO series about oh. the Mormon family. It's the poly, the polygamous oh. husband with, and she's about his fourth wife or something. She's well, actually excellent. I do rate HBO shows. Yeah, so you should check it out. I'm willing to give her another chance. But <laughs> the only actor that I, I thought was any good at all in it was uh, Robert Carlyle, who's from one of my favourite movies, Train Spotting. Well, that is a great movie, but no, actually Ravenous. If you haven't watched it, everybody, I won't give too much away, but it's a... I remember being seriously creeped out by that as a, a early teenager. Oh, yeah, it's a great... So it's it's the genre, I, I guess you'd have to say, is horror or thriller, and Robert Carlyle is one of the lead characters, and it's just... It's this wonderful combination of suspense and 
like a really uh, weird kind of a hillbilly soundtrack. It's just, it's great. Go and watch it if you haven't seen it. It's probably not for kids. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly wasn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we'll move away from Once Upon a Time. One thing about Once Upon a Time, though, that really frustrated me is it came out at a time where, to my understanding, and it could have just been rumour, that there was talk about making a, a Fables television show. And Fables is this comic book series that stars, well, the the lead characters of the comic book series are uh, fairy tale characters that have escaped from their fairy tale lands to escape an evil oppressor. So very very similar similar storyline so far. Um, but they're not suffering from amnesia. They're living in New York in this sort of area of New York that's been glamoured to hide them from the rest of uh, humanity, I guess, and. The fairy tale characters are just these sort of human people, like some pe- um, some of the fairy tale creatures, which might have been like, I don't know, for example, and it's not the best example because it's not real in the comic, um, but some of the creatures get turned into humans. Uh, maybe Big Bad Wolf, he's probably the best example. Instead of being the Big Bad Wolf, he's been transformed into a human and is now the sheriff of Fable Town, the area in New York. And it's like this really gritty sort of uh, film noir style kind of comic. The first arc of the fable story is uh, like a murder mystery. And he's the detective trying to find out who's been murdering fables. It's a really gritty and slightly adult comic book series that just won award after award, Eisner Awards. It's really captivating, really loved it. So seeing Once Upon a Time come out, I think, maybe killed the opportunity for Fables to be released. So that was very disappointing. But uh, I was about to say, it sounds like what Once Upon a Time should probably have been, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think Once Upon a Time was a little bit too... Uh, Crap. Yeah, well. Or young. <laughs> They're aiming for younger a bit teeny age group. Of. Yeah. Teeny yeah, that, bopper type That's right, age yeah. Cigarette. Not that bad. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure Fables is on the shelf now and it will be made at some later stage because this industry or those industries really love reinventing popular series and that is one. And it has wrapped up now, so it's ripe for a, a regen. Yeah, that's right. I think it's 150 episodes, uh, uh, episodes, uh, uh, issues have just been released and that's the last episode, so... Uh, the last issue. <laughs> <laughs> You're really getting mixed with oh, your um, sort of film and comic book i'm watching him he's nervous these days you know every every comic book has a film so it's probably something quite easy to do when did um when did fable come out laurie it's been quite some time right uh i don't know to be honest if it's 150 issues you've been there from the start have you not that's 150 months so do the math that's over 10 years yeah because i remember you recommending it to me some time ago and I haven't acted on that recommendation yet, but it's still on the list. <laughs> Beginning 2002. There you go. I was lucky to get in on the ground floor like I bought from the first issue and very quickly it was recognised to be a very good series. So the value of that first issue went up a little bit. Nothing dramatic. It's not like the first issue of Spider-Man or anything. But um, I bought all of the single issues and a few of the trades before I stopped doing that because they've they've released a a deluxe edition of the of the comic so it's a hard cover and it's a bit uh taller and broader on page size and has a few extras in it it's worth checking out even if you just grab the first hard cover and test out the story i'm pretty sure if you like fairy tales and you like modern comics with sort of gritty characters you'd you'd like the series so check it out 
You should see if uh, Sophie Dahl can sign your first edition. <laughs> <laughs> Given Roll has moved on from this world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of Brie... Why every episode? <laughs> you started it on several occasions. I'm just continuing with the uh, tradition. I started it once. I don't think this is unfair ribbing that's going on here. <laughs> Tell us then, Brie, about Grim Fairy Tales. We know it's one of your points of interest. Are we talking the TV series here or the... No, I haven't actually seen the... TV series. I was actually just going to talk about how fairy tales have actually been rewritten and even by the Grimm's themselves. So they first um, released what was called the Children and Household Tales in 1812 and it very quickly became the second most read German book after the Lutheran Bible. Um, but it was such a an adult collection of stories. I mean, you've got things like Rapunzel, who has a merry time up in the tower with her prince and then doesn't understand why her clothes are becoming tighter um, (laughs) several months later. And you've got things like the evil queen is actually Snow White's biological mother. So she's encouraging the huntsman to bring her lungs and liver to her um, to prove that he has killed her. And Hansel and Gretel's stepmother who left her left them in the forest was also their biological mother. So those stories were actually rewritten and reduced from 100 down to sort of 40 or 50 that were a little bit more manageable for younger audiences and things. These aren't exactly Disney classics, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that I'd be allowing my daughter or my son to be watching them at a young age. I mean, my daughter actually watches Tangled, which is the most recent Disney version of Rapunzel, and she absolutely adores the story, but I'm not sure that all of the the connotations that go along with that is something that I'd be comfortable with her watching at the age of four. Fourteen, maybe, (laughs) but just a little bit too young, I think, for some of these things. Had you guys heard those versions of the stories before, the original stories? I've read most of them. I, I, there's a, a book that I really like, which I told you about a couple of weeks ago, actually, and I, I, I think we may do it at a later date by John Conley called The Book of Lost Things, where he sort of does a, a modern take on traditional fairy tales and things, and he actually includes a, a, a sort of lengthy set of appendices that have all the original versions at the, the back end of the, the book. And it's really interesting going through and reading all of those original kind of darker takes than what we've become accustomed to thinking about fairy tales. And uh, especially in the context of, you know, a a contemporary author subverting them a little bit as well. It makes for really rich content, I think. I, I I like them a lot. I think there's actually a bit of a movement towards re-releasing some of those originals and actually letting people choose for themselves what they're prepared to actually devour. Yeah, for the podcast-savvy people out there, they're merely a Google away from all of the original texts, so check them out on the internet. Just have a have a look there. Entertaining, I think. Keith, over to you. You wanted to talk about some controversy. Yeah, so I guess we've covered off a little bit of controversy there in the rewriting of these classic tales not for children, but um, I've went a little closer to home. Well, firstly... I'll go back to Roald Dahl, a favourite of the pods and a favourite of mine. He had a collection of poems based on fairy tales called Revolting Rhymes, which was fantastic. And in Australia, it actually went on sale in Aldi, which is a German supermarket, a German-based supermarket. I'm sure everyone is familiar with it. 
I'm familiar with their delicious gummy bears. We sure are. Haribo, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gold, Goldie Baron, my favourite. Two ninety nine at Goldie. <laughs> anyway, it's welcome good. to the Gummy Bear Cast. <laughs> Isn't Haribo a French brand? I don't think so. No, I think the Goldie Baron are German, but you Google, we'll continue. <laughs> they do a good banana bread mix as well. So <laughs> so basically, Aldi started selling revolting rhymes amongst with other books and Upon reading it, someone became egregiously offended by the content and posted a complaint on uh, Facebook. And subsequent to that, Aldi actually removed the book for sale from its stores. And and the actual line, the offensive line, uh, is in the, the Cinderella retelling where there's a, a prince who's fond of beheading. When he first sees Cinderella dressed in rags, he exclaims, Who's this dirty slut? Off with her nut. Off with her nut. Which is... <laughs> That is a touch full on, but... Yeah, I think it harks to the the origins of the word slut, which maybe aren't the way they're being used to this day. And I, was was the word as full on around Rolls' time? Do you think was it maybe it didn't have quite the the punch that it does now? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it hasn't hadn't been used in the context and and, and the derogatory way that it is to this in this day. So maybe that's part of it. But basically, the a complaint then had a huge series of complaints against that with everyone you know, rallying to the defence of Roald Dahl, which was good to see. Well, I mean, censorship aside, and that particular word aside, I remember that book, I don't remember every rhyme, but I remember it being amazing, like laugh-out-loud type writing on that one. Definitely laugh-out-loud, and definitely that naughty sort of Roald Dahl, should I be reading this sort of um, element that, as a child, was a bit uh, enticing. Right. So again, let people choose for themselves what they want to be reading. Yeah, I agree. Bria, that's a note to you, Bri. <laughs> <laughs> yes, would you read that word out to your daughter? Uh, not at four, no. because she'd probably be throwing it out in the playground, right? <laughs> what, if, what, if, what if she was a seven or nine-year-old reading it for herself? Reading it for herself, I would hope that she would probably ask me for some context around it or maybe I'd be able to help put some context around it. Yeah, right. I okay. guess. It's a different thing. Fair enough. What's a slut, Mum? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know your aunt, Bertha. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, Keith? No, that's um, that's the end of my uh, fairy sale controversy. Yeah, that was very interesting. Controversy. Yeah. I wonder how many extra copies they sold as a response to that controversy on the black market or in other bookstores i guess (laughs) yeah yeah maybe it's worth a few extra dollars Mm. still i'm not sure i'll be buying my gummy bears from them henceforth (laughs) 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 patrick did you have any discussion points you wanted to cover uh only one which i i meant to bring up in my review of the book but i forgot to because i'd spoken to you about it before was just the way that this book sort of canvassed uh, LGBT issues. Ah. Um, I thought it, it was it was really nice. It was a very, as much as I was sort of lukewarm on the book itself and, and the plot and everything, I thought it was super inclusive and not sort of really beating a drum or anything, but just really normalising, you know, all these different kinds of relationships. And I think that would be really helpful, really sort of comforting to, to the target audience kids in that kind of age bracket who are used to being you know made other or put on the, the fringes of their friendship circles or or their school groups or whatever I, I think there'd be a lot of comfort to be found in something like this and i think that's really good it'd, it'd be nice to see in 
a sort of broader variety of the kind of literature that we're looking at. Mm, yeah, I think Holly Black definitely deserves a pat on the back for that one. It was done really well. It wasn't the focus. It was just part of the story and it played really well. I agree. Yeah, it was like actually representing characters who are outside of the real traditional kind of archetypes that we've become so accustomed to and pushing the boundaries like that a little bit, the way they need to be pushed, I think. Yeah, it was definitely, I I think, a good step in the type of LGBTI writing that we should be seeing in books. And something that we didn't have in the teen books that we were reading 20 years ago when we were all sort of that 15 age, the coming of age part of our lives. Pat, well done for pointing that out. Mm. Well done, Holly Black. Best part of the book. (laughs) (laughs) She got some things right at least. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's just one more thing I wanted to mention. It's not quite to do with the book, but it is around the the topic of fairy tales. And and I only thought of it really, Keith, because you brought up Revolting Rhymes. There's a, a very short audio play or audio book by Neil Gaiman, who's a bit of a sort of modern fairy tale or fantasy writer um, of high quality and this particular recording was called snow glass apples and it was a re-look at the snow white tale told as if the wicked witch wasn't quite so wicked and maybe snow white might have been the evil one anyway without giving too much away it is a fantastic listen and i highly recommend it if you like it's not for kids it's a bit horror and a bit adult but it's well worth a listen. Snowglass Apples by Neil Gaiman. Where can one obtain it? I will take the patch off my eye for a moment and say <laughs> I'm sure it's available on iTunes. <laughs> That's probably where I heard it. <laughs> Yar. <laughs> All right, we'll, um, we'll move on. Bree, shall we do the scoring? It is a very simple one this week because we've done a lot of darkest part of the forest. Sure. And I'm just going to ask you out of five fairy prince crowns what you thought of this book. Okay, Patrick? Oh, uh, I wanted to think about that for about five minutes. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm going to be re- really irritating and, and just... Uh, go with three. We're we're right in the middle. It's it's nothing spectacular, but um, it did it did have some good ideas and a few sort of positive qualities to it. So three down the middle. What about you, Keith? I'm going to go properly down the middle and say two and a half here. I agree with Pat. There was a lot of good qualities there. I could see this book being rewritten and me really enjoying it because a lot of the the qualities and the the world itself was there. It was just putting it in the right order and get getting the pacing right so yeah two and a half for me Bree, i'm going to do the david stratton and go with three and a half stars Ooh. thanks margaret i actually really liked that the the way that the urban world was structured with the forest and the mythical side that i was able to overlook some of those faults the complicated plot and those sorts of things i still found it a reasonably enjoyable book to read yeah, I think I'm going to go with three stars. I, too, enjoyed the, the meshing of the fantasy world and the modern world. I think the execution was flawed with the two thoroughly branching storylines. But there were a lot of redeeming qualities. The monsters, some of the characters were interesting. It's the kind of book that I would read once, but I probably wouldn't visit again. So, yeah, it, it, it's good for the first time round. Three stars. Uh, three fantasy crowds. <laughs> <laughs> Get your rating systems screwed. 
<laughs> they saw through it. <laughs> oh, dear. Next episode, we set ourselves on a quest in a very dark, crystal-esque favourite of mine, an obscure book titled Brog the Stoop, 1993, by Joe Boyle. It's $3 on Amazon. Give it a go. And join us on Facebook and Twitter with your thoughts at Seeking Tumnus. Until then, if you're unsure who you want to kiss, kiss them all and keep reading. The three of you should rent a house together and you can all stand out on the porch and Keith can yell, get off the lawn, while Bree waves her walking stick and, and Laurie hoses down the youths <laughs> that, that walk too close. <laughs> yeah, nice, Pat. Uh, you can rent the glass house next door and throw stones at us all day, you hypocritical bastard. <laughs> <laughs>